Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Connie Siskowski is at core a nurse. She saw a problem and worked to try to fix it. And in 1998, she founded the American Association for Caregiving Youth. It was dedicated to working with caregivers. They were isolated. And in particular, it eventually evolved into a program where she highlighted a population of children who were caregivers. Her work received national awards. And in 2012, she was one of the CNN heroes. She deserves our time to hear what good work she has done. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I'm going to start with two questions, and I'm going to ask them at the same time. Then I would like, please, to give us a little bit more history of how this evolved to what you're doing today. And the questions overlap. What in your life experiences sensitized you to this problem? And then, please, define it more so. Give us the details of what you do. Tell us the story, please. When I was growing up in New Jersey, my parents were divorced and separated even before I was born. So we lived with my grandparents. And my grandfather was 84 when he started to retire. And at that time, his health declined. During my younger years, we were very, very close. He taught me to do a lot of things. He was my hero. He was the one person in my family that I really felt close with. When I was in middle school, at age 11, his health started to decline. It was just my honor to help him in every way that I could. My grandmother really didn't participate, and my mother was working two jobs. As he declined and his needs increased, I just responded. For maybe the last year or so, when his ability to care for himself deteriorated, the demands on me increased. And I really wasn't prepared as a 12-year-old to provide personal care. I wasn't prepared to help him with mobility. We didn't have such things as a walker. And uh, ultimately, I moved into our living room so that I could be closer to where he slept in case he needed anything during the night. I did get up during the night to give him his medicine. Way back in 1960, when I went to give him his 2 a.m. medicine, I can still feel the coolness of his skin. You know, I discovered he was no longer breathing. So it was at a time when trauma in children was just not recognized. And so in addition to that experience, now I miss having that close relationship with a person in my family, particularly a father figure for me. Life went on and I became a nurse. I specialized in cardiac nursing. He had heart failure. I didn't tie this all in, of course, until later. After my oldest daughter was born and we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I really specialized in cardiac nursing. But along the way and looking for a relationship and again at a time when trauma in children wasn't recognized, I began making some bad personal choices, and it wasn't until I was in counseling as an adult in Florida that it was pointed out to me that much of what I went through as a child now was evident in some of my choices. So I was able to get some help, and now I'm thankfully married for 22 years. In my career, I ultimately achieved my master's from NYU in public administration with a major in health administration. I worked with a hospital system. I looked for things that needed to be changed. After I moved to Florida, 
I worked in home care, I worked in hospice, and I saw with my own eyes how people handled death, what some of the needs in home care hadn't been met. So I started a company called MDTU to do physician house calls. Then I got sick and sold the company and went to work for a company called Adult Care which was owned by a long-term care insurance company. One of the things we were doing was providing support to people all over the country who were in claim that they were receiving payments for long-term care insurance because of family health situation. So that introduced me to a new population and some new concerns. Then I was introduced to people who started the National Family Caregivers Association and Gail Hunt, who had begun the National Alliance for Caregiving. I had the opportunity to go to, in 1998, the first international conference on family caregiving in London. It was there that I learned about what they call young carers and how the UK has supported them since the early 1990s. So when I came back, I went on a mission trip with kids from my church, and one of the boys' dad had just died, another girl's dad had pancreatic cancer. So like along the way of my life, there were little seeds planted that I started paying attention to. My husband was doing a lot of traveling, and he said, go back to school, get your PhD. And meanwhile, I had begun what was called Boca Raton Interfaith in Action to provide volunteer support to people who were homebound and caregiving families. When I went back to school to get my doctorate, I had to do research. I was introduced to people at Palm Beach Atlantic University and was able to include a family health section in a countywide survey in Palm Beach County, Florida, asking children what was helping them learn and what wasn't. It was called the What Works Survey. So this family, it went to over 12,000 kids. The family health section identified whether or not they had somebody in their home needing special medical care, whether they were helping, and if they were helping, how it was impacting their academic life, whether they were missing school, not doing homework, having trouble focusing, or some combination. There were more than 4,000 or one in three students who not only were caregiving but were impacted by it. This was at a time when, when schools were starting to pay attention to high school dropout, but they were looking at what's wrong with the schools, what's wrong with the teachers. They weren't really looking at what goes on behind closed doors, what happens before the kids come to school or after school or on the weekend. The timing just wasn't right, but I was able to share my data with people I had come to know on a national basis. At a meeting in October 2003, it was announced that the administration on aging would fund the first ever and still the only caregiving youth survey. And at that time, when the survey was released in 2005, it showed that there were at least 1.3 million children ages 8 to 18 in the United States who were doing some type of caregiving. When the report was released, there was some media attention because these children are out of sight, out of mind. What they do is behind closed doors. People don't know or understand uh, the impact on them. With my research, with the national study and media attention, and then in that March, there was another study released called The Silent Epidemic, funded actually by the Gates Foundation. It asked young adults who had dropped out of school why they dropped out. 
22% said it was to care for a family member. So between these data points, I was able to get funding for our existing nonprofit since 1998 to start serving the children. And we used the data that I had collected in Palm Beach County to identify the schools that had the highest prevalence of children in this role. And one happened to be Boca Middle School. I went to meet with a the principal there. His name is Peter Lakata. I said, you know, your school is in the top 10. He got all excited and his face changed when I told him it was what the top 10 meant. But he was agreeable, as many principals are, to do whatever he could to help these children because, again, it was a population not yet recognized. In the fall of 2006 at Boca Raton Community Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida. Since then, our program has evolved. And in the beginning, we didn't know if the children, all of their needs, what they really wanted, what really helped them. So it's been like a testing ground, if you will, for us to work on solutions that were meaningful for these children so that they could achieve success academically and personally. Because of the challenges of managing the volunteer support services, which was primarily for older people, beginning the new program, it really took all of my time and energy. So our organization changed its corporate name as of January 2010 to the American Association of Caregiving Youth. It's a very powerful story, and identifying this population of kids at school that were that you didn't know what it was like after they left class. Wow. What could you do for them? Did you have the resources to go into their houses to find other mechanisms to give them support? Or was it more within the schools and giving them the psychological support that they need rather than go into the house and give them more hands-on support? What do you do for them? It's really complex and each situation is unique. Essentially, we work between the systems of healthcare, education, and the community. Healthcare is where it all begins because there's someone in their family with some type of health condition. Then we work in partnership with the schools to identify the children and see what support we can offer in school. We did have funding to hire staff and we hired social workers who could not only support the children in school, but also to do home visits. So we've had many, many interesting experiences. Now we're in our 17th year of providing support to the kids. In school, we develop curriculum called skills building, and it goes from sixth grade through 12th grade because, in fact, we learned that the children wanted and needed to stay with us through high school. We also started lunch and learn sessions. We looked at the top diagnoses of the care receivers of the kids and focused on these once a month, changing the subject, and did that in school, typically in the cafeteria. And it was at a time when kids who may not have heard about our program could could learn a little more. I always think about one boy who the topic was diabetes and where he was eating was not far from where our table was. He talked to our social worker and he said, well, my mom has diabetes, but yesterday she had open heart surgery and I was by her bedside and no one talked to me. And, you know, as a nurse, I know how nursing has changed, right? You have task orientation and you don't know what the children are going through because it's never been in your curriculum. He wound up joining our program and actually then his family moved 
And he said, in my school, they don't have caregivers. And we said, well, how does that affect you? And he said, well, you understand. And so that's always something that has stayed with me. So we started at Boca Middle. We're now in 35 middle and high schools in Palm Beach County, providing services in school. We do home visits, and sometimes it takes a while to build the trust and the relationship with the families. We do use a screening tool so that the children who are able to participate in our program, in which there is no cost to them or their families, are in the top three of five what we call levels of responsibility. We use the adult caregiving language called uh, level of burden or level of care and modified it so that we could use our resources and be good stewards of the donations that we received and the grants that we received. In doing the home visits, it's really been critical not only to meet the families, but to see what other needs might exist. For instance, one of the boys had said that his back was hurting, and when we did a home visit, we found out that he and his single mom were lifting his brother, who was wheelchair-bound, in and out of their single-family home up and down the soup. His mom worked as a maintenance person at a facility, and she would drop her son off at medical daycare. But then our student would need to be home right after school to, to get his brother back in the house. So we were able to find a volunteer who got flies donated and got some other people and built a ramp. Not only did that ease their physical issues, but it also allowed the student to stay after school a little bit and participate in some of the fun activities and develop some friendships at school that he wasn't able to do before. Because the kids often lose their childhood, we have started a camp, a one-night overnight camp called Camp Treasure, to help the kids know that we believe that they are treasure and to help them discover the treasure within. And we do other things. Uh, We have a holiday celebration. We do picnics, trip to the water park, other things. And that's valuable, too, because with our skills building sessions in school, the children meet kids just like them that are also caregivers in their own school, but with our activities, we include children from other schools, and so their world has gotten bigger. Their feelings of frustrations and feelings like they're the only ones doing this can dissipate. We've had great success, and when we look at the past nine years of our high school graduation rate, it's 98.1%, and many of our kids go on to college, and many want to go into health care And that's where we need a labor force in the future, mind you. As I listen to you, it's powerful. And I want to applaud you so much. You're making, you're giving these kids the sense that indeed they're not alone and that they're appreciated. One of the basic core notions in psychotherapy is that we hope that our children internalize good that they got from hopefully their parents or somebody else because that sets the standard for their life. I can just imagine the number of kids who really didn't know how to handle life situations or deal with the normal stresses because they didn't have a group like you to help. And I'm just picturing in my mind the community building the ramp and what a difference that makes. And that's what community is supposed to be. I just have to say thank you. Thank you for for doing this. 
Palm Beach County obviously is very lucky. Are there other places in the United States that you know of that are doing similar programs or even other countries? You said the United Kingdom was supportive. Tell us more about outside of what you're doing. If somebody is in California and they say, wow, I need that, what do they do? How do they get help? That's a great question because even after all these years, we're still having challenges making inroads to governments. As I did some presentations in different places, people started reaching in. We developed an affiliate model, but what happened is that there wasn't money from the government to support these programs. And even one of the ones was in New York where they had a facility for grandparents raising grandchildren. So when we wanted to go back and look at how the kids who had grandparents who had gotten ill versus those who were not and to see if they could begin to provide support to the ones who were caregivers. And they said, well, it doesn't make a difference because the money I get is for all of them. And the person in charge felt like he needed to spread it evenly. And then there's another place in Cleveland and they had started, but it was at a charter school and the funding got cut off. So that didn't move forward. There was another one in Arkansas and they were dealing with Alzheimer's disease or other dementias. Again, funding got cut off. So we've been working hard to get the government to recognize children because all of the family caregiving support right now, you have to be 18 years of age or older in order to access it. We have a long way to go, and one of the really beautiful things that has happened is the development of special relationships like with University of Miami, Miller School of Medicine. We We've had medical students participate with us and do projects such as one that's been published regarding the administration and management of medications by caregiving youth. We also have a close relationship with UNC Chapel Hill. Dr. Betsy Olson had spent time in the UK and was fully aware of the Young Carers programs there. And then when she expected to continue her work when she came back to the United States, but she only found me. And there's like little pockets in different parts of the country. And we're working hard to try and get the government to recognize these children. Now, there are some states who still have laws. It goes back to the uh, disability community. And people felt that children should not be in the position of caring for someone with a disability and so they could be removed from their home. A few years ago, I met with one of our state representatives and he said, well, children shouldn't be doing this. They should be in foster care. We said no. And I tried to provide him the information and the research to show that supporting the child and being able to stay in their family is much healthier for them short term and long term. We've been working with the Rhode Island Department of Education, which covers the whole state, and they started recognizing not only children who were caregiving, but also those who had needed to work because of our economy. Families have really suffered financially, so they were trying to see what accommodations they could make for these children. So we've been working with them and have just developed a formal relationship with that group. That's really a thrill. And in Florida, we're also working on the Florida Caregiving Youth Act, which will give some teeth to other states to move forward. There are about 13 states that have statewide family caregiver recognition task forces, and we're working to get them to expand to including caregiving youth. You hear about the government being snail-like. Well, we've encountered some very slow snails. I have to clarify this. There are states in which a 13-year-old, perhaps, goes home 
to take care of his elderly, sick mother, grandfather, whomever, that in some states that child could be removed from the home because they're the caregiver. It's not like they're, well, I don't know. See, this is now, this is an interesting question that came to my mind. How far does caregiving go? Administering medications, helping with showering and toileting. You opened up a, a thought process in my head. I don't know where to go with it. Well, these kids need help. A 13-year-old shouldn't be doing all this if there's any way we can help. You know, our home health care system is pretty broken, and it doesn't have all the supports that are needed for the extent of illnesses among our families. For instance, I was meeting with a nurse one time and talking about the children giving injections, and she was really upset. And I said, well, is it not better to teach them so they can do it safely? It's really an educational process that we're going through and trying to get the issues and some of the solutions covered in curriculum because it certainly wasn't anything that I ever learned in nursing school. It's nothing that's included in probably in your professional education, in the education of social workers or psychologists or whoever. That's another section that we're working on. So in 2014, we got some seed funding to develop the Caregiving Youth Institute, and that the purpose of that is to connect advocate to research and educate those who work care. So through that, we've developed a caregiving research collaborative, which has professionals from about uh, 12 or 13 different universities across the country that have developed an interest or are working on this, plus DC and Canada. It, it's a complex issue, and the children are doing it behind closed doors. So we've got to get those doors open and normalize this because it's not going away. It's getting more. We know from a 2020 study that there are at least 5.4 million children in this role. We know that in Florida, as of 2019, there were more than 290,000 public, middle, and high school students who are caregivers. That number dwarfs the number of children who were in foster care at that same time, which was about 15,000, or who were homeless, about which was about 95,000. And those were children of all ages. And yet the state supports and provides special accommodations for children in those two categories. Why should not caregiving youth be Included. Absolutely. It makes me wonder if we should somehow mandate that all the nursing schools require a month or two months of working with an organization like yours to go home with the children to see what's there and teach them and maybe initiate something that will get more official help. When I was in my master's degree in social work training, we were required to at least one time, not enough, but at least one time go to the home of as many patients as we could. What an eye-opener. And there's an old expression that says you never understand a patient till you've gone into their home. That's what you're saying that is, as well. that is so true. And so it's been eye-openers for medical students who we have worked with from both FAU and UM who have done home visits with us, with our social workers. It really takes a multidisciplinary team. A lot of people quote that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, one of our kids, her dad was older, and he had gotten sicker. She was 15, 16, not able to live alone. So I took her to one of the group homes. We had to go through a gate, and the group homes were in a cluster, and they had fencing all around them, and yet it was called a village. 
I started thinking a village has boundaries. Every chance I get, I want to say it takes a community, and the community doesn't have borders. And that's what's so important. This is amazing. You brought important things to this discussion that I really hadn't been aware of, to which I, again, can only say thank you. I wish we had more time. We'll do more down the road to be sure. Connie Siskowski is a nurse, as you can hear, a good-hearted nurse. She sees things. She wants to fix them. She wants to help children who are dealing with challenges that they ought not to be doing by themselves. Look them up on the Internet as a starting point, the American Association for Caregiving Youth. And Connie, thank you. Thank you for something that was more than I anticipated, frankly. I, 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 again, you hear it in my voice. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm just thankful for the opportunity to share some of this. And there are, even from a mental health perspective, many areas that these children need support and that people are totally unaware of. Having this discussion is really helpful for others. Thank you. Our website is aacy.org.